Hey, awesome, mate. It's great to welcome everybody at Rockbridge Community Church at one of our six locations in northwest Georgia and the greater Chattanooga area in Cleveland, Tennessee, and also those of you, the thousands of you that are watching online, thank you so much for uh, joining us. However you're here, my name is Matt, one of the uh, pastors on our team. We're wrapping up a series that we began a couple of weeks ago to kick off the new year, and we're just asking ourselves, hey, can we go ahead and decide now how, how we're going to respond when God brings us to crossroads moments, decision points sometime in the next year? So let's just make a pre-decision to cooperate, to say yes with what God's doing, with what God's going to bring us to and invite us into. And so to conclude uh, today, this series, I, I just want to ask this question. And the, and the question is kind of like, like a Miss USA, Miss Universe question, okay? What is the one thing that would make the world a better place, right? I mean, you've, been, you've watched the pageants, they ask that question. The, what was the one thing that would make your world, your life, your day, our church, your family better? And, and I, and I want to just say kind of uh, openly and honestly, as I've been kind of in this all week and preparing this, I mean, this, this is like a burden that we could understand something, and we're going to need God's help. So I just want to, I'm going to go ahead and answer what the one thing is, but I'm going to answer it in the form of a prayer that we're going to read in two different passages of Scripture. So I'd like for us all to do this. We do this occasionally at Rockbridge just to show it as an act of worship. It's an act of submission to the sufficiency and the authority of God's Word. So if you can, would you stand with me and let's just see this scripture. I'll read it over us. This is our prayer to kick off our message. What's the one thing that would make, it better, make the world better? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I want to invite you. Would you don't mind reading that with me, all our locations? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Some translations, that steadfast is eternal. Let me read one more prayer over us, and then we'll have a seat. Here it is from Ephesians. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And God, we know people are here today, this weekend, they need your strength. But then Christ will make his home in your heart so that as you trust in him, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, that it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of the life and power that comes from God. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. And so here it is. The one thing that makes everything better, right, is that we would receive God's love for us. All right? Now, let me, let me just stop for a second because God, the reason, and, and, and Paul, when we pray, let me back up. Paul, when he prayed, said this, it's too great to understand fully. So this is not like the love that you get attracted to in a Hallmark movie, ladies, right? It's not that kind of love. It, it, guys, it's not the kind of love that you want from your wife or your significant other to kind of satisfy or deal with your fragile male ego, right? It, it's not sentimental, feel-good, ooey-gooey love that so, so much of the world thinks of love. It, it, it's, 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 it's not typical. It's not natural. And that's why there's prayers in the Bible that say, hey, God, we need help to get your love, to be rooted in your love, to be satisfied with your love. That, that's why we need help. And, and, and I was thinking about this. I was like, 
everybody's hungry for love. You'll never lock eyes with someone that's not hungry for love. In, in fact, look at it the opposite. Someone who's hard. The reason they're hard is because they've been had a bad experience with love. Their heart's been hurt, and their heart gets hard as a form of self-protection. And, and, and so all, how many millions of billions of dollars have been made in the music industry and in the movie industry with songs about movies about love? And I was like, so God, why is it so hard for us to receive, understand your love? And so my prayer for you and for me, because you never graduate from, from understanding God's love. You don't pray a prayer, get baptized, move on from God's love. No, no, you need it daily, hourly, moment by moment. So, so my prayer was, okay, God, why is it so hard for us to, to just open ourselves up to receive your love? And it really comes from this, okay? And we'll unpack this as we navigate through Scripture. We'll be in the book of John again, John 13, if you want to find that while I'm talking through some, some stuff. But the reason we have such a hard time is the world, and that includes me and you, we struggle to understand and receive God's love. That, that's the statement we're going to make. And we struggle to understand, we struggle to receive God's love because we've learned something. And we've learned something from the brokenness of our world, from the, our inability to, to love correctly. But we've come to believe that all love is more or less conditional. Okay? That's, I have to meet certain conditions in order to be loved. All right? And, I, and we may say, you know, this, I just don't want to disappoint anybody. I don't want to let anybody down. What is that? That's the language of I got to meet conditions in order to be worthy of your love that I fear your disapproval, whether that's a parent, a coach, a grandparent, a spouse, whatever. So we just think we have to meet certain conditions to be loved. Some of you, let's just be honest, maybe all of us for that matter, we, there's just some narrative in our head where we, we picked it up maybe from a bad sermon somewhere. We picked it up because we live in the Bible Belt. But a lot of us believe, you know what? For God to love me, I've got to meet certain conditions. I've got to have my act together. I've got to break this bad habit. I, and some of us, you know, our past ha is so nasty and we're so ashamed of it. We're like, man, I, I, I don't think God could ever love somebody like me. And it's just, it's just this fact here. We've just come to love, come to learn that love is conditional. And, and then we also, in turn, set conditions. We set conditions we, we, of what we think love is or what makes somebody worthy for us to give them their love. Because let's just be honest, don't we all find it hard to love certain people? Don't look at anybody sitting near you right now, okay? <laughs> but isn't that true? I mean, we, so, so it kind of goes both ways. And, and let me just kind of talk about how this translates in our relationship with God, okay? So we strive to meet certain conditions. And those conditions are usually something that somebody's taught us or told us that's wearing a microphone like me, like a pastor or a preacher. You've been told, you know, don't cuss, don't, don't you know, whatever. You've been told be in church and pray. And so you strive to meet those conditions. And in your mind or in your heart, you're like, I'm meeting those conditions. And then you've got conditions that God's got to meet because you think you're meeting his conditions. And then when God doesn't, you're mad at God, you're disappointed with God. And that's when we say, I don't see how a loving God could. And it's just because 
We've just come to learn from maybe it's our parents, the world we live in. Uh, you know, we thought this was going to be the greatest marriage ever, and it turned into abuse. I, you know, we're in a performance society. All, if I perform, I'm accepted. All those kind of things. We just come to learn and believe that love is more or less conditional. And so we strive to meet them, and then we also set them, and the cycle continues in a vicious, vicious, vicious pattern. Now, Jesus comes in in John 13. And he's going to just talk through and illustrate his love. It's not natural. It's not conditional. It's not typical. And that's why we have a hard time with it. So here we go. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And we've just been reading John together as a church. And this hour always is a reference in John to his death and resurrection. So the Passion Week, the Holy Week, Easter, things like that. So his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. And here it is. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the utmost. Let me make a couple of points about this, all right? I want us to see something. He says he loved his own. So there is a sense of God's love that, hey, God loves everybody. And then there's a peculiar, unique way that God loves people who, have, who know how to and have been enabled to receive his love. Let me say that again. So I could look at your kids and say, or your dog, and say, I love your kids, I love your dog, but I don't love them the same way I love my kids and my dogs, right? So Jesus is making a little bit of distinction. And, and so it's easy to say God is love and God loves everybody, but we need to understand the love that we really, that I'm praying for, that Paul prayed for, that David in Psalm 90 prayed for, is this having loved his own. It's the peculiar love God has for those who have received his love and been adopted and become his kids. Okay, so it's, it's different. We need to understand that. So this, and then the second thing is this, this phrase, he loved them to the end. In the Greek language, it, it, Greek does a lot better job than English about communicating emphasis. This is the major emphasis of the sentence. So what John wants us to understand is he loved them completely to the utmost. He loved them. There, there's no other way he could have loved them better. There's no other way he could have loved them more completely. And he loved who? His own. And so now we want to see what is this loving them completely? What is this loving them fully? And then the key is the hour. The key is he's going to the cross. The key is he's about to die for them. So let me say this. It's so critical. The, the love of God is something we would not know of or be able to receive without the cross, period. Now let me tell you why you and I struggle with that, okay? Because remember what I said, we set conditions, so a lot of us are like, no, the love of God, I, I, the love of God is my loved one getting over from cancer. The love of God is me getting the job. The love of God is, you know, uh, uh, health and wealth and prosperity. And so we set conditions upon God's love, and our conditions are not shaped like the cross. And you and I will have a malfunction and a major misunderstanding if we do not understand and come to know and come to receive the love of God that comes through the cross. Now, you may not understand what exactly that means, and we're praying for that, and we're going to teach into that, but we just need to stop and receive that for just a minute. <coughs> 
because there's a, there's, there's, could be people here who are confused by God. There could be people here who are mad about God, at God. There could be people here who sort of have, yeah, I get it. God is love. And, and yeah, I know God, for God so loved the world. I got it. But we're talking about his love for his own. We're talking about his love for his kids. And it comes through the cross. And our temptation is in our conditioned, my, our conditional love mindset is we are going to say, no, God's love is known if I'm popular at school. God's love is known if I get an A on the test, if I get the job, if my wife gets better, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's just going to blow up. And it's, and it's just not the kind of love that we even need or we're even talking about. So we got to understand it's impossible for God to love his own unless it's going through the cross. So hold that thought. So into that, Jesus starts talking about two, he's going to, John, excuse me, is going to talk about two people that struggle to receive God's love, okay? The first one is a guy named Judas. Most of us have probably heard him. He betrays Jesus, sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. So he goes from Jesus is loving his own to the utmost to now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So, and really the better translation is the devil had already decided to, uh, to, give, to use Judas, to put something into Judas's mind in the form of a deception to betray Jesus. And so a couple of things that just I want to I point out where we get tripped up on this whole love thing. You see it right here. God's love and evil can and do coexist. How many of us have been hung up on how could a loving God? Well, well, here it is. I mean, God's love and evil can coexist. At the same table, right, you have a work of Satan going on and a work of a loving God going on. And until Jesus comes back, you and I are going to live in that tension. Okay? And so we just need to see it. And God himself, God, Jesus is God, is going to be the recipient of evil. So God hasn't exempted himself from the evil you experience or I experience. It's sitting at the table with him. Now, what happened to Judas? Because Jesus goes up on a mountain, like in Luke 5, and prays. For his 12 disciples, and one of the, one of the prayers, Jesus, he gets to Judas, right? And Judas sees the miracles, and Judas hears the Sermon on the Mount with, with its golden rule and, and love your neighbor and love your enemy. And Judas saw the, you know, he, he heard all the stories. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. He was in the boat when Jesus walked on water. And why does Judas not receive God's love in Christ? Because Judas had a condition. He had a price. And his price was for me to love God or me to love this Jesus, Jesus has to be about my agenda. And Judas wanted Jesus to become this political king and political Messiah. And when it was clear that that wasn't Jesus' agenda, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus, so Judas had a condition. And when God didn't meet his condition, Judas couldn't see God's love for him. So the price Judas set kept him from seeing the price Jesus paid. Now, I want to say that to everybody here because there's a little bit of Judas in everybody here. Don't take offense. I'm including me and everybody, okay? And what I mean is if we're not careful, we'll set a condition on, on God. And if God doesn't meet that condition, then God's not loving. 
If God doesn't meet that condition, God's not for me. God, if God doesn't meet that condition, well, I don't have got time for God either. And you set a price or you set a condition upon God's love or upon God's activity or upon God's agenda, and it keeps you from seeing the price that Jesus paid, which is cross-shaped. Remember, you can't get to his love without going through the cross. And so Judas, that's what he does. All right? So we get an example of someone who struggles to receive Jesus' love, and and i got to meet myself and say, you know what, there's times in my life <clears throat> when I've tried to barter with God and put God in my debt, you know, God, I've read the Bible seven days from now, seven days in a row. Why did I have a bad day on the eighth? God, I prayed that that would never happen, and it happened. <clears throat> I don't think you're very loving, God. That's a little bit of Judas in me, and probably you too. All right, and then so we go to Judas, and then John takes us back to Jesus. And here's Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So we get the Trinity right there, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, because Jesus knows who he is, knows where he comes from, he's part of the Holy Trinity. So he got up from supper, laid his outer clothing, took off, or laid aside, excuse me, his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. So, so you get this. He's loving them to the utmost, so he's illustrating his, his cross-shaped love by serving them, by washing their feet. He's got this enemy, Satan, and Judas is being a pawn of Satan, all at the same table. So, so let's be shocked on a couple of things just right there in verse 3. first one is, Jesus, the Son of God, washed feet. The most humiliating thing you can do is probably wash somebody's feet, especially my feet, because I got I got like stinky feet problem, right? Uh, so he they, he washed feet. So and, and here's what never happened in the first century: never, someone of a higher status never, ever, washed someone of a lower status's feet. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, washing his disciples' feet. So there's something in there that's like wow. That's a shock value. That's a surprise that what's going on. Not only that, Jesus, the Son of God, washed Judas's feet, his enemy, his, not, his betrayer's feet. And that starts to blow something up. It should in our spirits because remember what we do with love? We, put, we make love conditional. What is Jesus just doing? Unconditional. You can betray me and I'll still wash your feet. You can sell me out for 30 pieces of silver, and I'm going to still wash your feet. So who in here now is suddenly disqualified from God's love? Anybody? I mean, if Judas isn't, has anybody sinned too much, gone too far, got too many skeletons in your closet for Jesus not to love? I don't think so. And and, and the shock of this and the power of this sort of gets illustrated this way. So you have this Jesus, the height of his holiness. I mean, they've seen Jesus be transfigured. They've seen him, like I said, walk on water. And then you have the depth of our sinfulness. And this space right here that this holy son of God would stoop down and wash the feet of a notorious sinner named Judas just begins to show the height and the width, what we prayed for, right? (coughs) excuse me, and the depth of Jesus' love. 
And we start scratching our head and we ask, how did Jesus do what Jesus did? How did Jesus love Judas? How can Jesus love you and I? Because what we said earlier, it's a little bit of Judas in here, right? How can he do it? Remember it says he came from God the Father and he knew he was going back to God the Father. So he exists eternally in a community, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a community of holy love. Love is part of who Jesus is. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and if God is love, then God can't help but love. It's just who he is. And he loves without condition because he's, he's unconditional love. He's eternal love. He's, what did we say? We prayed it, Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. That means his love does not waffle with circumstances. His love doesn't wane with emotions. Jesus never falls in love or out of love because he is love. Right? And so here's the beautiful truth, okay? We're praying, God, show us your love. We're praying, God, satisfy us today. Satisfy the people in this room watching online. Satisfy us with your love. Then here's the truth. There are no conditions around God's love because his love reflects who he is in, in terms of his character. His love never reflects our behavior. If his love was responsive based on our behavior, he never would have taken his clothes off, never would have washed Judas's feet, never would have washed any of our feet. Right? Crazy, radical, amazing love. And then John takes us to another person who sort of struggles, also struggles to receive God's love, and it's Peter. So he comes to Simon Peter who asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. I don't need you to wash my feet. <coughs> I don't need that to be done. And I don't need you to do it. Jesus is attention there. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You have no, this, this word part takes back to the part of the Holy Land that God was going to give the Jews. So it has to do with inheritance. You have no union with me. You have no inheritance from me. If I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. And so then Simon Peter says, well, Lord, don't wash just don't, not, not only my feet, but also wash my whole body or wash my hands and my head. Wash all of me. And then Jesus makes this incredible statement. He goes, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. Now, we got a little culture going on, so it's like you get up in the morning, you take your morning shower, but they walked everywhere. They had sandals. They didn't have asphalt. They had dusty roads. So during the day, their feet would get dirty. And so Jesus is like, you just need to be continually washed throughout the day, but the only thing we need to wash is your feet. What he's saying is this. When you're born again and you receive God's love, his peculiar love, he cleanses you from your sins, from your filth, from your dirt, from the depth of your sinfulness. But as you and I continue living and going throughout our day, we're still going to need Jesus to cleanse us, part of us, right? Because we, we are prone to sin, and, and nobody's perfect this side of heaven, right? We're walking in Christ. We're walking in his love, but we're going to continually need Jesus to forgive us and renew us in his love, okay? So he doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean because he's already been adopted. He's already been made part of the family of God. You are clean, he's saying to some of them, but not all of you. He's referring to Judas, so Peter's got this struggle going on, right? His struggle is you have this, the incredible humility of Jesus. My Lord, you're going to wash my feet. But he's also struggling with his own kind of self-righteousness, thinking, man, I, I don't need Jesus to wash my feet. I'm good, right? So you got both of those going on. 
And, and, and so we bring it back to this, this picture. And we got to understand, like, if we don't understand how holy God is, we're going to miss the depth of his love. If we don't understand how sinful we are, we're going to miss the depth of his love. So here's, what, here's what's being done, right? Here's what's being done, right? In our culture all around us, we, we'll say things like, nobody's perfect, God understands. We'll, we'll, we'll change the sexual ethics that have been in place since Genesis 1 and say, oh, a loving God, man, love is love. And all that's doing is minimizing the holiness of God. And when you minimize the holiness of God, you close this gap. And God's love is not as powerful, not as potent, and we're not receiving God's love. We'll also try to minimize our own sinfulness, will we not? Oh, he's basically a good person. Oh, my sin's not as bad as their sin. And what we do is we shrink this down. And when we shrink down his holiness, and when we shrink down or minimize our sinfulness, then we misunderstand this. Because you can't understand how much God loves you until you understand the cross. And on the cross, what we see is a holy, pure, perfect, eternal God who exists in steadfast love, high in holiness. But he stoops down to die for me, die for you, just like he stooped down to wash the feet of the twelve, including the Judases. So, so you see why? As, so, as soon as we believe that we're meeting conditions to make us worthy of God's love, we're actually minimizing the depth of his love. As soon as we sort of think, oh, God under, God's holy, or no, God, God's good, <coughs> and God's loving, and a loving God, he would never do that. He would never allow that. How could God do that? And we minimize his holiness. We shrink this down, and we can't even fit the cross in there anymore because I'm pretty good, and I'm good enough, or at least I'm not as bad as those people, and nobody's perfect, and God understands. We miss God's love. So what we need to do is just stop and stare at this until it hits right here. We need to stop and stare and understand who it is that hung on that cross, who it is that washed those feet, who it is he was dying for, whose feet he was washing. And it's all in that story as we move to the cross in the Gospel of John. So, so he, here's the powerful thing. It's why the world misses God's love. It's why Matt misses God's love sometimes is we come to experience God's love through sin and failure. Not through success or self-esteem. Not through religious efforts. And certainly not through being good enough. And that's why we struggle with it. Because most of us know love. Hey, they love me because I'm successful. Hey, God loves me or the people in my church love me because I'm religious. Or I'm good enough, at least I'm not like those people. <coughs> and, and we think those conditions make us lovable. And when we think conditions make us lovable, we shrink that gap. We shrink the height and the depth of God's love that we prayed for to open our sermon, our message this weekend. And we walk around and, and God's love is sort of minimized in our hearts and in our spirits. And it is through our sin and our failure, that actually we understand a little bit more of that incredible height and depth of God's love. So let's say it another way. We're not qualified for love or disqualified from God's love due to our past, 
our personalities, or our performance. That's what's called good news. That's what's called good news. See, it's, it's hard. It's hard for most of us because we have been so ingrained that what makes us acceptable and lovable and valuable is certain conditions that we meet. It's why some of you are constantly in a state of shame and guilt because you're like, I haven't met those conditions to make me acceptable, lovable, and valuable. And the good news is there are no conditions. All hinges upon the character of God, the changeless, steadfast character of God. And so when we get to Paul in the book of Romans, and he is hoping that this church at Rome would grab a hold of the love of God and never let it go. He doesn't build up their self-esteem and say, oh, you're not that bad. Go read Romans 3, right? He, he breaks them down pretty good, right? And he says this, okay? He says, look, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So this is the Holy Spirit has to articulate, if you will, translate, if you will, illuminate, if you will, God's love to us. Because why? Because we're so ingrained in, you know, good God, good people go to a good place. We're so ingrained that love is conditional. And if we just meet a few conditions, check a few boxes, then bam, God loves us. And we minimize the cross and we minimize the glory and the goodness of the gospel when we do that. And so we, the Holy Spirit has to pour this love into our hearts as a reality because it is not typical, it is not cultural, it is not conditional, it is supernatural, steadfast, eternal, divine love. And then he says this, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, the unworthy, the unacceptable, the Judases. God proved his own love for this and that while we were still sinners, still unworthy, still unacceptable, Christ died for us. That's it. That's it. The height of his holiness and the depth of our sinfulness. And the more we grasp this, the more you experience the love of God. And the greatest thing we need, what's the one thing that would improve everything is to be satisfied, to grasp the height and the depth of God's love. So I'm sitting having my time with God this week, and I'm like struggling, you know, and I'm like, God, I, I, I just need your love. And, and I really, I really, I was praying into this, and I, was, you know, I knew this message was coming up, and this is sort of what I threw down in my journal because I, I was under conviction for some things. And, and when you're under conviction, you know, here's the, here's the thing. You feel like I'm under conviction. I'm not meeting the conditions. And then God can't love me. <clears throat> and that's satanic because Satan is always the voice of what? Condemnation. And Jesus is what? I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? And so in that battle in my soul, for about five minutes, I saw this and I experienced the love of God being poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. And I wasn't meeting a condition. I wasn't doing anything. I was just staring at this. And that's my, been my prayer for us. 
my hope for us. Now, here's the, here's the beautiful and the scary part. Unconditional love invites unconditional surrender. Unconditional love invites unconditional surrender. He loves me that much so I can trust him 100%. Yeah, I can give him the steering wheel of my life. Yeah, I can give everything to him. Unconditional love invites unconditional surrender. And here's the question. What if we decided, Jesus is a king, right? And his kingdom is a kingdom of unconditional love. What if we received this and lived in this? i just give you three ways, three, three things, three categories. Sin, change, how, we do, how we handle sin changes, adversity and suffering changes, just how we live changes. Let's do sin first. All right? Sin in me is now seen and handled through the cross-shaped love of Christ. No more, i got to get my act together. No more running from God. I can run to God. I run to the cross. So when I sin, I run to the cross in confession and repentance. John tells us this. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's exactly what Peter and Jesus are talking about in that whole foot-washing dialogue in John 13, 6, 7, and 8. So, we confess and we repent, but I also come to view my sin differently. My sin now, I see it as, the, as hurting the one who loves me the most, the best, and forever. So I begin to fight this sin by his grace and as a response to his love for me, not to earn his love, but because I have been loved. Got it? I fight that sin <clears throat> not to earn his love, but because I have been loved by him. Romans says it this way. Through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Remember, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into us. The Holy Spirit now helps us kill the sin nature. And the Holy Spirit is what? He's not a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. So now we call him Daddy. Now we call him Abba Father. Now we call him that because of his love for us. So we don't want to hurt Father. We don't want to hurt Son. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. So we fight sin by the grace of the Spirit. It's a game changer. What about adversity? Most of us think adversity is, is God not meeting a condition, so God's not being loving. That's not how Paul talked about adversity. That's not how Jesus talked about adversity. So now, because we understand God's love through the cross, then here's the beauty. Adversity is not evidence against God's love for us, but an opportunity to live from his love. <clears throat> Whenever Paul faced adversity, you know what he would do? He would throw the love of God back in the face of it. Death, love of God. Persecution, love of God. Whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, love of God. Listen to this. Paul writing, No, in all these things, all these adversity type things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So these things don't disprove the love of God. These things are not exhibit A that God is not loving. These things are opportunities for me to rest in and live from God's love. For I am persuaded... 
I'm convinced. How is he convinced? Through the cross. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that means, Christian, we don't live in a spirit of fear. We don't live in a spirit of anger. <clears throat> we don't live in a spirit of insecurity. We don't live in a spirit of uncertainty. Oh, my gosh, what's the world coming to? No, we live loved, steadfast love, the love of God. I live now from his love. It's how I live. I, just, just imagine for a second, okay? You wake up every day. satisfied in the morning with the steadfast love of God so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. In a sense, and I don't, I don't say this to minimize anybody's hurt or pain, but in a sense, when the love of God is that alive and well and refreshed in your soul, there's no such thing as a bad day because you've already been more than a conqueror. Right? Yeah. Right? And that's why, that's why the greatest prayer that I can pray, I'm convinced of this, the greatest prayer I can pray for you, the greatest prayer you can pray for me is not, man, I hope Beth doesn't get cancer again. It's not, man, I hope nothing bad happens on the way home because the weather's kind of bad. The greatest prayer we can pray for ourselves, our kids, our spouses, for lost people, the greatest prayer we can pray for our neighbors, the greatest prayer you can pray over your soul is this. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Let's pray together. God, would you love us right now? Holy Spirit, I can't do it. I can't preach it any clearer. I can just read it. I can just do what we've done tonight and this weekend in all our locations and online. Holy Spirit, would you pour your love into heart after heart after heart? God, if there's a heart here that wants to receive that love for the first time and become one of your own sons, one of your own daughters, I pray, God, they're just exhibiting faith right now and saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be adopted. Yes, Jesus, I want to be saved. Yes, Jesus, I want to be a son or daughter. Yes, Jesus, I give you my sins. Yes, Jesus, I give you the steering wheel of my life. Yes, Jesus, I become more than a conqueror. Yes, Jesus, I become the temple of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray there's just thousands of yeses to being loved by you. So, God, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Then we can rejoice and be glad all our days. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.